0: everybody one and all welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is charles and with me today as always is my lifelong friend and co-host dylan
1: i'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend charles
0: i am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well dylan and not just any fantasy today Oh. And that's right, because today we are continuing our buddy read discussion of the First Law Trilogy. The Today's book is Before They Are Hanged by Joe Abercrombie, book two.
1: Yeah, we should always f- forgive our enemies, but not before they are hanged, Charles. And we <laughs> learned a lot of lessons about that in Before They Are Hanged. I... I'm really excited to get into this. Any longtime listeners, longtime friends, as we like to say, Mm -hmm. uh, who have been tuning in know that I'm a huge Joe Abercrombie fan. You and I are rereading this series now. And I think you've always loved Abercrombie's work. But from what I've been gathering so far, you're loving it even more on the reread than you did the first time around.
0: Yes, I think I've come to, you know, I just have, enjoying a lot more of Abercrombie's like writing style and watching him set things up and take things down and um, build things up and all of his writing style so I'm enjoying that part of it a lot like knowing where it goes so when they drop lines or moments I'm like oh I get it <laughs> it's, it's funny and so you, you that happens quite frequently and um, I think before they're hanged which first of all is probably my favorite of the titles and like the quotes yes. used oh, of the totally. trilogy uh it's a great um great quote and um it's also like i enjoy it quite a bit more than the blade itself although i love both of them i think the blade itself is a great introduction to all these characters but before their hang gets so i mean some of the scenes that happen in this are so wild and i just loved um loved watching it all go down
1: Right. There's a lot more plot going on Mm -hmm. in Before They Are Hanged than there was in The Blade itself. And when you write as compelling characters as Joe Abercrombie, you can get away with a more character-focused book like The Blade itself, where I think I mentioned to you years ago, Charles, when we were first reading these, like, yeah, if you looked at a Wikipedia summary of what (laughs) happened in The Blade Itself, you probably wouldn't think it's a very good book, but that Wikipedia summary would not have the voice of Joe Abercrombie or really give you what's so great about The Blade Itself, which is those characters. Now, Before They Are Hanged is kind of that next step where it's like okay you see what these characters are like I've set everything up about them in the previous book now what happens when I put them into these plot events that are pretty epic at times
0: that's right and also what when I put them together and force these guys to hang out and you know how can I play with that through the change of POV it's like it's it's quite it, it's quite a fun story and then also it's the middle book right if you think of like like star wars it's like the empire strikes back of <laughs> this trilogy where it's like the end is kind of this like well let's uh <laughs> let's give a heads up
1: that we will i mean as we normally do in our buddy read discussions there will be spoilers through Ooh the books that we've read in that series. So here, that means there will be spoilers here for The Blade Itself and Before They Are Hanged by Joe Abercrombie. So if you haven't yet read The Blade Itself, or I'll say and, Before They Are Hanged, then now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones before Charles tells you exactly what kind of ending we get.
0: (laughs) Yes, but just know that uh, it's good and you should read it. Yes. uh, And uh, thanks for listening.
1: (laughs) Yes, if that that wasn't clear to this point, it's good. And yes, thank you for listening. And come back when you've read these books. I mean, they're so great.
0: They are great. And you know what, Dylan, when you got a task to do, it's best to just... Get on with it. Better
1: to do it than live with the fear of it, Charles. So let's not live with the fear of it.
0: That's right. Would you like to take us into our first uh, discussion about Before They're Hanged by Joe Abercrombie?
1: It would be my honor, my good friend. Let's do it. So we pretty much split this up into three separate Mm storylines here that we'll take one by one. Uh, There's the story up north, really, which is Dogman, West, and the rest of the gang up there. The Northmen, uh, of course, Polder and Croy, who could forget Mm. them. And Lord Marshal Burr. (laughs) Don't forget Lord Marshal Burr and that indigestion. (laughs) So then parallel to that, we've got Glockta kind of doing his own thing in Degasca, and then he does come back to Adjua toward the latter end of that. But pretty much Glockta just has this whole book, his own storyline that doesn't overlap too much with any of the other characters, and then we'll get into discussing the Fellowship of the Seed, as I've come to call them. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah, so that's Giselle, Baez, Logan, Pharaoh, and of course, Brother Longfoot and his many talents are along for the ride, as mm-hmm. well
0: as Malchus Kwai. That's right. Cannot forget Malacus Kwai. So, <laughs> Let's talk about up north, because this is some of my favorite moments in this whole book.
1: Yeah, I mean, I said last time that maybe we did the dogman a little bit dirty and not talking about him as much. But he actually gets the chance, you mentioned this too, I think, he gets a chance to shine more, I would say. And before they're hanged, if I'm correct, he has the first chapter and the last chapter as his yes. point of view, yes. which is... I mean, if that were the first book in the series rather than the second book, we'd be like, oh, this Dogman guy must be the main character.
0: <laughs> right. And he does take quite a prominent role. And, you know, he's um, he's got the, like, the main perspective of what's going on up north. Like Wes is a POV character as well. But it's interesting to see how Dogman kind of represents the whole northern situation because none of the other characters are up there.
1: Yeah. So Dogman, other than West, of course, like you mentioned, uh, the Dogman I've always felt kind of gives you a glimpse into what war is like in a way that's very Abercrombiean. I mean, war and battles and fighting, right? He's Mm -hmm. always like, he's got to take a piss before every (laughs) fight he gets into. And then there's all this kind of like, oh, I forgot what the signal was. I think that I don't know how much that happens in the booth before they hang, but we start with him and he is, uh, they kind of stumble upon these bodies. Uh, and then uh, we've got Beth just storming South, right? Like Beth mm-hmm. has already done a ton of damage in his first attack. And we get to hear kind of the Dogman's reaction to these things and all that, how did you feel about the Dogman's perspective in this book?
0: I, you know, I enjoyed it. You know, I always liked the Dogman for a northern, like what we think of, like the people from the north, the Logan Nine Fingers, and all that. It's It almost goes stereotypical barbarian. But what we get from the Dogman is he's kind of barbarian, but he's also like a sensitive guy and a thoughtful guy. And um, he's trying to get along with everybody. He's more of that scout role. And I think he yeah. really helps to round out this idea of what the North is like. Because almost every other character, including even Logan, fits this very much like barbarian warrior trope. And it's it's good to see through the perspective of Dogman instead of any of these other um, northern characters. Because he does seem to be the most thoughtful and... And that was just, uh, I thought, a great diversity of of thought to come from the North, you know, is to to get Dogman's perspective. Right. Yeah, so here's something interesting I
1: noticed up North was the parallels between Dogman's story and kind of where he fits into things with the people around him and West, who's kind of... So Dogman is a little bit more of this, like... I don't know if neutral's the right word for it, but easygoing, a little more like, let's get along, and uh, a little bit more, he has his opinions, but he's able to smooth things over, especially between we've got uh, told Duru Thunderhead and Black Dow, who are always at each other's throats, right? Mm-hmm. Those two cannot get along. And then, Toward the top, we've got Rudd Three Trees, who's kind of, they call him the old boy. He's this veteran (laughs) who is like very competent, knows what he's doing, and also like he's a lot more level headed and sees things, but he's in more of a leadership role at the start than is the dog man. And then we've got West, who's kind of got the union equivalent of uh, like two people who are really at each other's throats in Croy and Polder. (laughs) who just are going at each other. They're more shaped as, like, incompetent and kind of played for being silly in the way that they're at each other's throats, where Blackdow and Tol are both very competent and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, And then at the top, we have Lord Marshal Burr as kind of the Rudd Three Trees of that crew. And he's the leader and the one that is competent and able to find a way to manage those two big personalities sure. and, and to,
0: uh, to expand on that you have the dog man who amongst these northern like the fact better phrase barbarian-esque where they're all ruthless like Black Dow and Thunderhead, and he's maybe the more sensitive guy in this sea of barbaric type people. Wes has these violent, barbaric rage qualities to him in the perceived more civilized like army. So if you think about it, they're almost like they're both kind of fish out of water a little bit, where Wes is containing his rage and Dogman is like dealing with his, his sympathy, I guess. And they're both trying to lead people like out of this water kind of situation. So that was also to read those two side by side and how they're dealing with these leadership roles when they're exact opposites in terms of their tendencies and the nature of their environment, you know? It's very interesting.
1: Right, it's super interesting. And we, so we end up in this position where West is kind of in charge of the Northmen, but not really, like technically, by the way, the Union sees it, but not really. He's
0: like like the Union delegate to the, to the Northerners, to the Northern army here.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. There's a big thing that Abercrombie likes to play off of is kind of that, the Northmen are seen as being more barbaric or less civilized or whatever uh, than the Union. But if you kind of step back and see what's actually being presented with those two, the Union are have such a backwards way of doing things and seeing things. Right. And it's the Northmen who are kind of more pragmatic mm-hmm. and frank and really just competent than the union is
0: here right it's a common trope and fantasy of like oh you're you're behind your walls and civilization it's made you soft you have weak leaders you forget how to be out in the woods and fight battles and get your hands dirty and all that kind of stuff but it's interesting because through abercrombie it's it's almost like um satirical almost is to watch the union kind of trip over themselves and be their own worst enemies and have bureaucracy get in the way. And the Northerners are just staring at them like not understanding what's happening. It's like, why don't they just like March right now? And (laughs) they don't, they don't get it at times. And, uh, it's got this element of humor to it that keeps it really kind of fresh and and interesting.
1: Well, Charles, speaking of someone who wants to March right now and, uh, humor, (laughs) (laughs) We should talk about, like, Ladislaw, I think, <laughs> just the way that <laughs> oh, character is pretty much the caricature of union, uh, not just incompetence, but growing too, ooh, I guess, what's the word for it, complacent in the rich lifestyle that they've had. Yeah, they're and quite Lattice... stagnant and... Yeah.
0: and um... Yeah, they're they're. It's pretty much the embodiment of everything that's wrong with union. They kind of forgot where they came from, and they're just sitting comfortable and losing their priorities and squabbling. And that's kind of Prince Slad's personality.
1: Yeah, right. So the word in psych that we use sometimes is affluenza. Oh which yeah, is, I know. You heard that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so. That's defined as a psychological malaise supposedly affecting wealthy young people, symptoms of which include a lack of motivation, feelings of guilt, and a sense of isolation. I don't know if that latter part is really what's happening to Laszlo. He's more just pampered, but it's kind of this idea that he's just so rich that it's had a negative effect on his ability to function as a person. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just does not get it he has these aspirations to be some sort of great war hero and they're like glockta used to be back in the day and there's some really like funny exchanges i think with ladislaw and west where ladislaw is like uh wouldn't your uh (laughs) like what would your old friend colonel glockta have done before he died like shame he's dead and then West is like, uh, "Well, first of all, he's still alive, and <laughs> second, like he got himself he charged in a gallantly real... into battle yeah. and got wrecked, which is what exactly. you're supposed to do right now." <laughs> exactly. And then, even at the end of that conversation, the chapter kind of starts with the what would Glockta do? Shame he's dead. West corrects him. And then the chapter kind of ends with, like, yeah, like Glockta would probably charge, like, uh, shame he's dead. Like, yeah. Ladislaw just doesn't even listen to yeah. the West. Right. Uh, so it's. Interesting, those exchanges, but Wes tries so hard to stick by Laszlo's side. And that's something that's interesting about Wes's character is, like, he's got this side of him that's just uh, furious, uh, we should say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the name that he gets after he bites off someone's nose. Uh, Black Dow, probably the person you least want the approval of, really approves of that. And then... Yeah, he has that side to him, but he tries so hard, does West, to like do the dutiful thing, do the right thing, and it's interesting to watch his journey with that.
0: Yeah, and the fact that he has this anger problem that he's going up against <laughs> alongside that, he's he's with the most infuriating man possible yes. as a crew, as like a team, as like a you know traveling partner, and also as his as his commander, he's the prince, and he's trying to use his, you know, expertise and his open-mindedness and his experience to guide legislate, and he's just not listening. And so he's bound by duty, and his two different duties are conflicting. One is to serve the prince, and the other one is to Win these battles and save the union. So he's constantly, and they're at ends with each other, and then throw in this anger problem in the mix and his splitting headaches. It's it's so interesting to watch him juggle. It's like, well, on one hand, if he charges, he'll kill all the soldiers, but on the other hand, he's the prince, and I have to do what he says. So what am I supposed to do? And he's burdened with all this responsibility, but in the end, he can't do anything. So it's just adds to the frustration, and it just boils it boils up his anger till eventually it boils over. And it's such a great, I have to say, I think Wes in this book was probably my favorite story arc of this whole book. And we'll get into it more as we keep going through this arc, but I have some serious uh, thoughts on (laughs) events that we're just about to get into. I I just, Uh, I just love reading Wes.
1: Right. So long story short with the Ladislaw tries to attack when he shouldn't have, He ends up getting a ton of people killed because of it. West saves Laszlo. Dogmen and the crew save West. And then they're off together. Laszlo's complaining a ton as they try to travel to warn Burr about Bethod. And for a while, Laszlo seems more like a... Just like a benign nuisance is probably the way I would describe him. And then West and the crew have to fight and he's like look we have to leave the crown prince like he'll what west is thinking is the crown prince is going to be in danger if he fights with us it's like a skirmish a little like uh, so then he's like uh convinces three trees to let lasla go uh, aside with Cathil, who uh alongside pike were brought from the penal colony Mm -hmm. um and she and Laszlo are left alone because west is like Laszlo will only get in the way anyway and then they have this big f- skirmish and i think black dow basically like hits west and is like use it like yeah. a, like an acting teacher or something. yeah this is
0: yeah and this whole time too black dow is like trying to encourage um west's ang Anger, Right. Yeah. And the more Wes is giving into that, the more Black Dow is being appreciative. And it's like, you should <laughs> you should not feel good when Black no. Dow is proud of what you're doing. You know, that should be That's a like- warning sign to you. <laughs> and in those chapters leading up to this moment with Prince Ladislav Abercrombie very deliberately often gives Black Dow the last word of like, oh, I knew I liked this guy or like, hey, that's that's good to see. It's like flipping use it. You know, pairing those two together is super interesting because the only thing that kind of separates them is like kind of Wes's air of I have to do what's right. You know, so it's super interesting when Abercrombie puts those two together and how they interact and actually how they kind of Get along in a lot of ways. Oh, they have yeah. this understanding of each other, which should be very troubling, <laughs>
1: yeah. like you're saying, Charles. The last one you want the approval of in terms of seeming like a good person, which Wes tries to do is Black Dow. If he's approving of what you're doing, that's terrible, terrible sign. And he's kind of the devil on West's shoulder here. And there is no angel. (laughs) And I mean, unless it's just West trying himself to do the right thing, it's pretty hard when Black Dow's taking every opportunity to bring West more toward his furious side. And it is great to use the device from Abercrombie of these named men to then have Black Dow give... West, the name furious right
0: <laughs> it's yeah. it's definitely this warning sign and it's um but also it's kind of I I I was actually kind of happy I was like oh good Wes is like actually coming to terms with his like like that side of himself, maybe he can actually assert himself in the union and he actually gets stuff done, you know? So at one part you're like, Oh, you do not want to have black Dow's favor. Black Dow's the most unsavory character there is. Like he's talking about like, you know, how like he just murders people senselessly. He's not above like, um, sexual assault and stuff like that. Very unsavory guy. And then he's patting Wes on the back. Like I knew you had it in yeah. you, buddy. <laughs>
1: That's true. And speaking of unsavory people, when mm-hmm. West returns to where Cathil and uh, and Laszlo are left alone, he basically catches Laszlo in the middle of trying to commit sexual assault. And that's when we and West see Laszlo go from what I was saying before, seemingly this benign nu- nuisance, to actually being a very despicable person himself and it's interesting that west kind of has this moment where he's coming off this fury but abercrombie makes it very clear that west has it has his wherewithal and is clear-headed when he decides to basically push laszla off a cliff and kill him and that's a crown prince who right. is uh, would be the king if the something were to happen to the king and the king's right. on good health.
0: Right, exactly. And it reminds me, like, because we were talking about affluenza, right? Affluenza doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It makes you naive and ignorant, but it doesn't make you someone that's actually a horrible person. And so I think Abercrombie had this revealing moment. It reminds me of, I think it was a quote from Sanderson, and I'm gonna butcher it, but it's like, how do you make a villain unlikable? You make him a pedophile. <laughs> and so it's like, how do you make Ladislav unlikable? You have him cross the line. And you know we, we saw Wes catch him in the act of trying to commit an act of sexual violence. And Ladislav's like, what's the problem here? <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, or he's like trying to cover it up. He's like, oh, didn't think you guys would be back so soon, whatever. And that's yeah. totally different from what we've seen from Prince Ladislav so far. Of like, we knew he was almost like a baby and incompetent and weak and all these other things. We didn't like him, but he was more like annoying. And now it's like, yeah. oh, this is actually a horrible person <laughs> doing a horrible crime knowingly. You know? Exactly. So. That distinction at that moment, that reveal was a was an important one, and it and it brought Ladislav to the next level of unsavory, and we are cheering us on almost as he pushes him oh, yeah. down the cliff.
1: I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that Abercrombie does with what his like his ama- his subversion of what we typically root for in fantasy is like the person who kills the crown prince heir to the throne that moment is like the closest we get in a lot of Abercrombie's work to like a victory yeah. and it is a moment that if you're cheering for it by that point we're so fed up like we're not doing justice in our relatively short podcast compared to how long it takes to read the book to how much crap west puts up with from yes. last law and is still supporting Supportive of him, tons, and then this is just, look, before he was a nuisance, now he's uh, despicable, and so Laszla is out of the picture, and that changes the political situation, which we'll get into more in Glockta's arc.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
1: So, that's pretty much uh, Wes, besides the stuff that happens when he's having to take over for Burr when he's out of commission. Um, and I don't know how much there is to say on that unless how you have How much is
0: there anything. to say on that? Uh, Dylan, that is my... Favorite scene in this whole book, <laughs> really, is when he's talking with Burr, and Burr's like, "Damn this indigestion! We must hold the line!" And then he just pukes everywhere oh, and passes out. And Wes is standing there, stunned, like, "What?" And then he's trying to make it all work. And I just want to say about this scene that, you know, in in this book, Abercrombie doesn't necessarily deliver on a lot of the plotting uh, intentionally. And that's you know what makes this book brilliant, or he
1: subverts a lot of the plotting. Yes, he probably yes, is better. Than but
0: I would deliver. say that this moment when Aaron, when Lord Marshal Burr passes out, <laughs> not Aaron Burr. Yeah, no, not Aaron Burr. Lord <laughs> Marshal. We were Burr. willing to wait for it. This moment <laughs> <laughs> when he steps out and, and West steps out and tries to command the army, pretending he's still you know conscious, and. How much plotting went into that moment? How much setup Abercrombie put in for that moment to pay off? Burr's been complaining of his indigestion since we first met him at the very beginning of uh, the blade itself. And that's amazing. You always were like, oh, damn his indigestion. And then he just pukes black puke everywhere. It's amazing. Then you have this whole thing of having, um, what's their names? Uh, The two generals? Yeah, Polder and Croy. Uh, you have them on opposite ends, and you have built them up to come together. You've created the mist and all the fighting that pulled yes. the northerners away. And you- the Shanka, And you have the Shanka. Then you have Pike, who he rescued from a <laughs> prison, defend him, being like, he's incapacitated. No one gets in. Like, Pike just has no problems buying into this setup and basically saves Wes from having Polder walk into the tent. So he's built up all of these super important, intricate details. You know, he's even, you know, had Wes, you know encouraged by people like Black Dow to kind of do more what's necessary. All these intricate, intricate plotting moments went into this. And what's like the reveal is bird puking everywhere. I, that scene is, it took me so off guard the first time I read it of like, what just happened? It, it almost felt like... Um, almost like a like a Pulp Fiction moment like a Quentin Tarantino moment kind of when the character just all of a sudden just like and then passes out and it's like oh man what are we supposed to do this just changed the whole scenario of what we thought was going on in the scene and that I just loved 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 that that moment and how much careful plotting and Mm. and thought Abercrombie put into what is perceivably this like you know here's something that happened but it's like here's something that was intricately laced with all of these moving pieces um to come together and it was exciting you know it's like is he gonna get discovered, you know, what's going to happen when they realize Burr's dead and all these other things. And then uh, the next reveal of Burr stumbling out of the tent yeah. like, "What's wrong, everybody?" like <laughs> It's like I I said I was fine, you know, so you're like, "Oh, it's this is so funny." And like, I don't know. I, I just loved that scene and it was um super exciting and and funny, too. Yeah. No, that
1: makes a lot of sense. I almost had a Skimming over it, but Charles, you make a great point.
0: It's my favorite scene.
1: (laughs) No, I'm glad you didn't, because you you make a great point. I don't think I really connected all the dots you were connecting there. As like, I guess I knew those things were taking place but i didn't place this moment as like the culmination of all these things that yeah. uh, abercrombie's building and he's building more with all of those
0: things too yeah so I yeah guess like that's it's part not of done it's, it's but not the it's, moment no but, but so it's one of the moments had, yeah. that had to all happen for this yes. scene to happen like he had to set up like 20 different parts moving correct to, for this to pay off in yes. a way that and felt a, earned which it really is every moment from pike to bird to west to polder you know all these people and to the northerners and bethod and the mist it's like these are all things that were set up beforehand that have all kind of paid off here and they'll continue to pay off but they paid off in a big way in this moment
1: you're right yeah i mean things like having pike have that moment where he's like you've so west basically has Pike's back, not just when he takes him out of the penal colony, but when they get separate, well, not separate, when they end up in that situation where Laszlo loses all these troops and so many people are dead and all that kind of stuff that when they re-arrive with Burr, West is able to say, oh, Pike was a sergeant with all those troops that died. His whole, you know, they're all dead, but Pike's here, so why don't we have him be a sergeant of someone new? <laughs> and Pike is now free. He was in a penal colony. He could have easily ended up there again, but he knows what Wes did for him, and he's like, I'm your man no matter what. So the moment that Pike saves him is, like, very, very... Earned from right and Pike
0: from the penal colony, so he, he, it's easy to believe that he would buy into yes. this. It speaks to his character that he would play along with West and actually like be like, "You're not getting in here." <laughs> like to like a general, right. and the general's like, "Well, uh, okay, then I guess not." Bye. <laughs> and then they're like, "Whoa, that was lucky." Also, Burr has been training West for this moment, kind of indirectly at the beginning of this book, where he's like, "Those two idiots can never be in charge. They keep arguing over." each other like it's people like us that need to burden their spot like carry the burden and i've always liked you and this that and the other thing so it's like that's all counts as set up for this too it's like uh, um burr was kind of you know in indirectly preparing west for this moment of like taking this leadership role so it's just all so good i don't know yeah so well Well, that's
1: great stuff and i think we also we don't want to do the dog man dirty again, so I want to at least bring attention to something from this whole bit with Dogman basically having to watch that fight against the Feared. He's like the only one in the crew that doesn't get involved in fighting against the Feared. Mm -hmm. And speaking of moments that start building tension and, and giving us an idea of really oh, what? what's going to come from this? The Feared being so powerful that even all these named men who have been built to be extremely great warriors by Abercrombie, they're basically all trying to pile onto uh, Fenris the Feared, and they can hardly do anything to this guy, and he actually ends up killing Rod Three Trees, which is, I, I just thought that Moment was an epic battle, and I think sometimes we don't give Abercrombie the credit for like these plot events, we just talk about characters. Right. But that plot event was really cool, to
0: yeah. Watch. I mean, Abercrombie, as much as we praise his characterization, I think the way he writes action is. Yeah. Second to none as well. It's super entertaining and interesting and suspenseful. And you know, he knows how to deal with the pieces on the board. And having three trees and all the other members of his crew fighting the feared was super entertaining. And then having also the realization that the Shanka are involved and are coordinating with Bethod, and then you have the mists. And then what comes out is this like we know magic has been a part of Bethad's um, advantages so far because we've seen the um, priestess or whatever they call her and um, yeah to, to then now we are intru- are we introduced to the feared in this moment is this the first time we've seen no the
1: feared the feared was there in Adua actually went to Adua oh, right, right, alongside right. that messenger. And we see the feared through Giselle's perspective. So another moment that builds toward it, where Giselle's like, what is going on with this guy over here? And he's like, who, does anyone want to fight me? And the guy's basically threatening the king yeah. in front of all these people, but they're like, no, it's going to mess with this guy. Yeah. So the feared that's been built toward. And of course the reputations of all these named men have been built extremely right. well. And what this moment does. So the feared gets away uh, despite like, multiple should-be-killing blows. Right. And then we're like, how is anyone going to stand a chance against this guy?
0: Right, exactly. And, you know, Abercrombie, again, does a good job of balancing the power in these fights. Like, these named men are getting good hits. And so it's like, these guys did fight valiantly. It makes it feel that much more like... Oh, just what a loss for these characters because they put up such an honorable fight, and then the imagery of the fear just pounding three trees into the dirt—it's yeah. like so intense, and um, I, it's just—it was the best action scene of this whole book, and super entertaining. Yeah. And then, it, and like that's kind of how this ends, you know? It's like now we have to figure out how we're gonna face that guy again, you know? It's like now there's Shanka and magic and the feared you know it's like these are all pieces that we're gonna have to deal with in the next book you know it's very much that empire ending for this arc of like well we just suffered a huge loss and these pieces are still ominously looming over us and we have to you know keep going and that's how this ends and so I I thought it was a brilliant wrap to this arc
1: and can we speak to Rudd Three Trees is a great character Mm -hmm. and a character that's probably as heroic as they come Mm -hmm. in an Abercrombie book. Just a good person, of course, a killer still because it is an Abercrombie novel, but a good person who tries to do what is right at every opportunity in a really difficult world and with a lot of tough choices. And we see that so much from Three Trees. And of course, people like that, aren't long for this world yeah here, so i mean abercrombie he's...
0: does like to subvert his characters and any character that shows any redeeming qualities he likes to punish sometimes we've seen all of this but three Cheese kind of you know got away with a clean record in such a way like yes yeah. he didn't survive in this world but it was against an, an enemy that he did get that dealing blows on it just didn't die, right. you know. So it's like, oh, Three Trees is one of the more honorable characters in this whole series, and Abercrombie let him be, which is another right. miracle because Abercrombie <laughs> used to like pretty much loves to twist some of these characters around and punish them in certain ways. But Three Trees got away, I would say, and uh, yeah, definitely one of the most honorable characters in the series. Well represented. Very valiant leader, represents the North really well, and brought all those other Northmen to his side. All they had to hear was that Three Trees was alive and leading men, and they were like, let's do this. And they did fend off that Shanka attack, and they did fend off the fear, miraculously enough. So major props to Three Trees.
1: Sure. And one of those people who joined up is good old Shivers. And Shivers, yes. we'll hear a lot more of him as we continue to move through. So uh, just want to give him a shout out because I love Shivers yeah. as a character. Shivers uh, joins
0: and, the fray, everybody.
1: Yeah. And Dogman becomes chief because, well, it's not going to be Dow or Thunderhead because neither would listen to each other. So, yeah, which we've Dogman, seen that before. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and we're kind of left with this... You know, Burr is barely kicking, and we've got West trying to manage right now the situation with Polder and Croy, where either one of them seems more likely to take the job than anyone. Right. Uh, and neither of them likes West. So we'll see where that ends up going in Last Argument of Kings. But I think. I think we should talk some Glockta here, Charles. We're like 40 minutes into this yes. episode and it's been all up north. So, <laughs>
0: Well, those are some of my favorite scenes. So, I'm, yes. And, you know, we like you said, we did Dogman Dirty last time. So um, we we gave him the time he needs. Redemption. Uh, yeah, Glockta in Dagoska. Uh This is kind of the, you know, for the north where we get the action pieces and the, you know, the war-like nature of battles and warfare and all this other stuff. Glockta, we get like political navigation and scheming and like intrigue and we get some warfaring kind of stuff too. You know, it's a pretty exciting uh, arc for Glockta as well.
1: Yeah, this arc has always reminded me of it'd be Tyrion's arc in Clash of Kings. That's what
0: I thought immediately when I was reading it the first time because this was like at peak Game of Thrones popularity I was reading this book and I was like oh yeah Uh this is this is like defending King's Landing basically it's the same it's kind of a a similar task
1: exactly so I mean Galacta is one of those characters you mentioned Charles that bit about doing a good thing often comes around to bite you on the on the FTF podcast we sometimes say no good deed goes unpunished in yes. some of these works and I think Abercrombie's work is probably premiere among yeah. the works where no good deed goes unpunished right and yeah Glockta he comes in and he's mostly doing he's a torturer he mostly does really messed up things but he does get a moment that sticks out to me where he he so he's in Degasca he is trying to figure out what happened to my predecessor who kind of disappeared one night he has to try to defend Degasca against the Gürkish and it's pretty much an overwhelming task and he in all of these messed up things he's doing to try to make that happen one good thing he does is he finds this uh this girl, basically, who's being tortured by the Inquisition's presence in Madagascar before, right? Glockta because she got was there. the servant
0: of the missing yes. practical, the missing superior, superior, right. yes.
1: And he, she sees that she's still alive, so he's like, "Oh, we need to save her," and he saves this poor girl that seems on the verge of death, and then lets her be his servant too. And right under his nose, Charles, <laughs> as he goes about all this, like, what happened to. It's like Davoost or something. Yeah, Davoost is his yeah. predecessor. Or, what happened to Davoost? The whole time, it's like the one person he saved and has been right under his nose, who turns out to be an eater. So that's kind of. That's what we can expect from Glockta. He does <laughs> something nice. and yeah,
0: yeah, that's what he gets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Glockta, the bleeding heart, you know, the protector mm-hmm. of the innocent. You know, he, he goes on about himself like that sarcastically, obviously. And uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. He's not surprised at all. He's like, that's what I get. <laughs> right. I mean, he's surprised, obviously, but he's also, you know, he's like pretty under, quickly to understand it and be like, yep, pretty much. Yeah,
1: (laughs) makes enough sense. I mean, he's had such a hard life that I think Galacta is the one who is most in touch with the fact that he's in a grimdark novel. Like, obviously, (laughs) there's no meta-ness to it. Like, he's not like, I'm in a book. Right. But obviously, he's most in touch with this sense of, yeah, of course, like, if I do a good thing, I should probably expect that that is going to me in the butt
0: right and, and he's always kind of like you know the the is surrounded he's like hmm, i wonder how they'll kill me head on a spike body found yeah. in docks you know like he's thinking about that stuff he's like I'd, pr- I'd probably deserve it i'm having all these people just killed so many deaths because of my orders you know like he's he's accepting of all of it and he he has his moments where he tries to do what he perceives as a good deed and all these other things but for the most part he can't help but kind of watch everything in his own head and be like "Hmm, yeah this is interesting we'll see where it goes maybe i may have just you know sealed my own fate you know he always likes to go body found floating in the docks whenever he does something that would make an enemy of someone else you know or challenges somebody powerful especially salt especially salt yeah archlector salt yeah yeah. so he's like body found floating in the docks
1: (laughs) yeah and in in those italics to know where (laughs) In his internal monologue. Well, or in the I audio mean, book, you a... just
0: hear the different accent and the oh, way yeah. he kind of whispers it. It's yeah, it's... great. So. Stephen Pacey is incredible. Yes.
1: So uh, that audio book narrator for you who don't listen. Um, if you're going to... Uh, if you ha- have already read these, which is I'm assuming you have if you're li- uh, listening to this podcast, but you haven't listened to the audio books, please check those audio books out. Yeah, they're really So good. good. So we we do get some other moments where Glockta seems to do the right thing i guess we have carlot den eider and she's one of the traitors to to dagaska and to the union and stuff mm-hmm. but we find out that she's oddly enough one of the more heroic characters in here too yes she is I,
0: scheming with dagaska but it's to prevent a battle You know, it's to prevent any lives lost. Yes. So her and
1: Verms come up with this scheme. Verms is the uh, The Lord Governor's son. Yeah, Yeah, who's he's kind of, you know, the (laughs) little affluenza going on over (laughs) there too. But uh, we've got Carlot when she's being tortured or about to get tortured by. Glockta, he's like, Why did you do it? And that kind of stuff. And she's like, Believe it or not, like she's got nothing left to lose. She's like, I did it because I was trying to do the right thing. Hmm. And that touches Glockta somewhere because underneath it all, Charles, it does seem like Glockta tries to do the right thing and he actually lets
0: Eider go. Yes, he does. That's another one of his, um you know, he mocks himself for doing it, but he also can't help but do it. He, He's something about Ida made him sympathetic and uh, he's like, well, we'll see where that goes. (laughs) 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 I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it anyway. I can't help it, which is an interesting musing from, from And yeah, it's, uh, you know, I would also say another one of his heroic moments is the fact that he even sticks around in the first place. You know, people are like, you should get in a boat and escape right now. And he's like, uh, maybe I should, but I got to see things out here, you know, and, and he's and, you know, even our selector Salt's calling him back and he's like, but I'm not done here. You know, it's like we're, we're holding out against the Gurkish and whatever. So there's also those elements of his like good deed aspect as well. He does feel responsible for the city and for like holding it and things like that. So
1: he tries his best. Ba- I mean, he. He does leave,
0: yes, so let's not give him too
1: much credit.
0: <laughs> no, no, but he—he he, the fact that he even worked as hard as he did <laughs> was was. Oh good. yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, he tried extremely hard, and he, in that process, a key thing to keep track of here is he did take a giant loan from none other than the banking house of Valen and Bulk, mm-hmm. so. They basically say, look, we want you to hold Degasca here or at least try your best. We're going to help you out with this giant loan. But one day we just might come calling with a favor. And
0: <laughs> it's like the godfather. It's like, oh, my God, it's the mafia.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Galacta takes the loan and does a very impressive job holding Degasca in part because of his impressive political scheming which we get to see some interesting st- stuff there if you are a fan of sort of that Tyrion clash of kings storyline I think you'd love this yeah and he I mean you've already read this but I th- I would guess you loved this and uh the thing here that we end up getting is later on when we're back in Adjua Val and Bulk do come knocking but we'll, we'll get to why
0: that's right, and you know what he did some of that money was very well spent on one of the best side <laughs> characters in all of fantasy Nicomo Casca, yes. fame soldier, soldier of fortune nailed it <laughs> I mean I had to segue into him because I know you have uh thoughts about Nicomo Casca, so i want I want to hear your thoughts on him,
1: oh yeah, I mean one of my favorite characters probably in I mean, one of my favorite Abercrombie characters, which is, I mean, Abercrombie writes my favorite character. So, Nicomo, uh, Casca, I mean, just the characterization of him when he first appears, it's like everything about Casca is, like, past its prime, down to his boots, down to the fact that his mustache, like, looks like it could be sort of, like, curled and primmed in a way that would make him look nice, but it's not and it's like yeah so the boots it's like ridiculously fine boots but they're in ridiculously bad shape and it's like i think that i was reading on kindle so i don't know how many pages or whatever but on my little kindle pages it was like multiple kindle pages worth of abercrombie just telling you how like every part of costco is like that and very clearly you get that casca himself is very well past his prime but he's got this great sort of roguish wit to him Uh, he's very open about these like i'm a mercenary and i'm going to take whatever money wherever the money is best that's where i'm going like i don't get caught up on things like honor or anything like that and it feels like maybe casca came to exist because like Abercrombie needed a character that would be like money is the only thing and you the reader have to be very aware that that's their thing but then you can tell if that's how Casca started then Abercrombie ended up having a lot more fun with him and he's just Got such funny dialogue and his persona is unforgettable,
0: Charles. Right. And everyone has a story with him that goes way back to some like lecherous thing that he did and it's like, Well, what? I mean, that was then, eh? That was fun, right? He's then they were like, That was not Fun. you betrayed us or whatever. Right. And he's like, good times, good times. You know, like he's <laughs> he's he doesn't take any of warfare personally. It's just like something he like does and has fun doing. And um he has he's like, eh, enemies, friends, they're all the same. You know, it's a really refreshing attitude. And to have him be so cavalier about it is, yeah. is, is it just builds up his his charm.
1: The other interesting thing with Kaska here is like Kaska has his vices especially drinking and during peacetime he's just laid out drunk uh nothing really doing with this guy and then when it comes to the siege and the battle suddenly Kaska's all put together yeah. and he's like the man for the hour yeah and it's like the exact opposite see... of
0: the city you know yeah <laughs>
1: so he, he, he thrives in those circumstances and i don't know he's as side characters go i think you you said it well charles i and i with i guess he's one of the best side characters in fantasy he is way up there and i'm not sure i can think of any better from side characters
0: well said he also has like one of my uh, favorite lines in the, in that story arc he's he's like uh, they have the mo- he's talking about the enemy and he's like they have the most strange and dangerous of qualities they think they're in the right <laughs> where it's, like, where <laughs> yeah. it's like so true to his character of like i i never think i'm right there is no right it's just what side you're on and who pays the most and when yes. an enemy thinks they're right it's it's like so strange and also dangerous because they'll forego any kind of reason to to achieve what they think is the right thing to do and when you're in the context of a city that's under siege by like this god emperor basically it's it kind of contextualizes the Gurkish a bit as well so great line from a great character
1: right he has lines too on honor where he's basically like i'm paraphrasing because i don't have this one in front oh of me. i have it but right? he's like, it's like oh, you have what it? is
0: it anyway right? That one? Yeah. Okay. Be careful with yeah. the sense. I'm gonna yeah, censor. censor yourself it. So I'm going to censor right, it. I'm going to censor it. Honor, eh? What the hell is that anyway? Every man thinks it's something different. You can't drink it. You can't, um, you know, <laughs> make sweet love <laughs> to it. it. <laughs> the more of it you have, the less good it does you. And if you've got none at all, you don't miss it.
1: <laughs> Nailed it. Thank Ch- you, Charles. So, I mean, the point is, once he's dismissed it then he is kind of like there's that is not actually a real thing. It's kind of like a theme for no this whole use. book
0: also. It's like yeah. what is honor anyway? It's no good to anybody. It's kind of like the philosophy of a lot of these character arcs.
1: Right. So we end up Back to Glockta, because uh, as usual, Mokaska is one of those side characters that steals the show here. Mm, he's stealing well ours. So then we'll get to... Glockta called back to Adua. Salt is super pumped. <laughs> and Glockta thinks he's going to be a body found floating by the docks. Yep. But instead, Salt doesn't care that Degaska was lost. He's just pumped that... Uh, basically that Glockta was able to make Salt's political rival Morovia look like a fool by holding out as long as he did. So now Glockta seems to be in good graces with Archlector Salt.
0: Yes, which is always a good thing to do when Archlector Salt is your boss and a very powerful man in the Union.
1: Right. So then we get shortly after his return we get Artie back in the picture, which we're glad to see because Artie, another fantastic side character mm-hmm. from Abercrombie. It's a shame we don't get more Artie, honestly. She's one of my favorite characters. And uh, it's she's kind of in dire straits with debt. And again, we kind of get Glockta helping someone out, and he t- takes care of Artie. He, he also finds out that West is missing and presumed dead, which actually seems to bother him. Mm-hmm. He's got a soft spot for the Wests, does
0: Glockta Yes. Yes, he does. Wests and also innocent um, women as well. He's, uh, mm. he's freed the, uh, when he freed the girl who tried to eat yeah. him, and then he freed Ider. Ider, thank you. And now he's he coming to the rescue for Artie as well. So we see a trend there too.
1: Something's going on over there. Something's we also get to see on. Artie uh, unleash her own furious yes. side there. Uh, yeah, that was so. <laughs> yeah, she kicks the crap out of the money lender. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, interesting stuff. We get the stuff where Glockta becomes one of two superiors of Adua and kind of salt playing these two against goyles the other one so glockton goyle against each other we then end up with another envoy a Gurkish envoy and this one seems like a nice dude so what's gonna come for him right Right. so this Gurkish envoy comes offering peace and empty boxes which was an interesting little maneuver there he's like yeah we want peace we're not willing to like give you anything but since The reason you want stuff is mostly pride anyway. We're willing to give you empty boxes that you can say are full of gold or anything like that. So you can protect your pride over here in the
0: Union. Right. And, you know, they see eye to eye. They're both very practical. They're both trying to do the right thing. And once a character's going down the right path and everything seems to be going all well and and noble, you have to almost wonder what Abercrombie's going to do to what he's cooking up for these characters. And of course, duty gets in the way for Glockta and the prince, Prince Reinault, who was left in Adjua, has been discovered eaten. And they don't care about who did it more than they care about wrapping it up quickly, even if it means stalling peace and continuing war and Glockta realizes this but executes the orders anyway there's just no other option Archlector Salt is very committed to wrapping things up now and he doesn't care about who did it and he's okay with continuing the war and that's what we get Glockta kind of confesses that to Artie but that's pretty much all he can do
1: yeah you can get the sense that Glockta feels guilty about all this, but he does it anyway because salt would have him as a body f- found floating by the docks pretty quick. And you have to be realistic about you these know, things.
0: Charles. And even a little bit he doesn't. Why does he do this? He's you know you know he's figuring it out. He's just coasting through sometimes and doing what he has to. And this is just the role he's played in this whole thing. And this is what the person in his role does. And he's right, into but that. he
1: not only does he ask, "Why do I do this?" Glockta is curious, if nothing else, really. Mm. Like, he... The one thing that keeps him from just being focused on self-preservation, besides that little bit of a moral streak he has going, is that curiosity. And he wants more answers, even if the truth doesn't have to do with who's going to get punished for the crime. Glockta wants to know who actually did the crime, because the whole thing seemed too convenient. Right. And then when he is asking these kind of questions and wants more answers, Valentin and Bulk say it's time to stop asking. Yes. And...
0: yes. and that is a very ominous interaction that kind of brings us to the end of Glockda's arc of, hmm, the war is continuing. Val and Bulk tell me to stop investigating. And uh, am I, I'm, in, I'm kind of in trouble now. I'm a, <laughs> I'm. Like a bot man, and and now we're with the interests of people that want to continue the conflict. So, here we go. We'll see how that works out for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, tough situation. He's got two ridiculously powerful folks that are telling him what to do, and disobeying either could end up being a problem. Right now, those two are telling him the same thing. So, it doesn't seem to be an issue yet, but you do have to wonder where things might go in the last argument of kings for glockta but we'll get there in a couple weeks yeah so where we are now though charles is the fellowship of the seed the fellowship
0: of the Seed, the epic quest that takes place throughout the entirety of this epic tome of uh, a book before they are hanged we assemble what could potentially be seen as the dream team with logan and pharaoh and bias and then we've got some of these other characters along the way that we've come to know and love like Chazal and on about love but that we're familiar with (laughs) Chazal. no anyway and uh yeah we've got longfoot and Malchus kwai as well they're all sticking together almost like this like oddball fellowship troop and they're going on the classic quest to receive the seed the mythical weapon that will help them defeat the Gurkish. and that's why everyone is is on board and yeah but what we get out of this epic quest is not what we would expect when we've read something like maybe lord of the rings or something like that you know this is not a quest involving the one ring it's it's the seed but things don't kind of go like we expect them to in a fantasy novel
1: Well, Charles, it starts out already kind of a bizarro version of the Fellowship in the sense that we know from the Lord of the Rings, the main thing we think of in fantasy when we think of Fellowships, that they already had the ridiculously dangerous, powerful item in their hands. And they were saying, how do we get rid of this thing? And that was the journey that the Fellowship was taking. Right. In before they are hanged, the journey that our fellowship is taking is there's some ridiculously powerful thing that we do come to see throughout this book basically can turn a place into the Deadlands. That's what happened to Alcus. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, well, let's go all the way over to the edge of the world to try to retrieve that ridiculously dangerous, (laughs) powerful weapon And uh, so that's already subversion in itself. And then the ultimate subversion from Abercrombie is he makes you read this whole journey, this whole quest from the Fellowship of the Seed, just for nothing
0: yeah.
1: there there was no seed at the end of the journey <laughs> yes
0: yeah it's kind of it's like what you think just because they went on a quest that they are going to do something climactic at the end it's like no it's not guaranteed just because you go on a quest it's like these people are trying to find a weapon to use and they barely can tolerate each other and you know what makes you think there would be something at the end you know we're obviously playing with forces that um or don't care about us, or are always scheming, or we're long gone, or on all these other things. So I don't know what we were expecting, but consider it subverted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take that, fantasy reader. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I know, like, we we love Abercrombie. I've always talked about how much I, I love Abercrombie, but when people get frustrated with the plotting elements of Abercrombie's books, it's because I think they feel certain promises are being made to them as readers when you set a fellowship out on a quest. And Abercrombie quite deliberately says, like, I don't owe you the <laughs> end you think you're going to get from this quest. Right. So, but the Beauty is always in the characters with Abercrombie. So shall we talk, let's talk a little Giselle. He got a ton of attention in our uh, Blade Itself episode. Mm-hmm. So I think we can, we don't want to do him dirty, but right. it, I I think there's less to say about his journey in this than kind of the introduction right. of his character. He, we get to see him kind of learn from Logan in terms of Logan like being someone who actually has the kind of experiences that Giselle was intending to have, but had a kind of more noble inexperienced view of what those things would be like. Uh, he gets to, s- to be humbled by being punched in the jaw.
0: And- he was hit with a mace, right?
1: <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Hit with a mace. Correct. <laughs> um, he... And that wrecks his face, yeah. as uh, getting hit way. with a mace or,
0: would be tend to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he he learns a lot in this. I I said to you, Charles, in the blade itself, and I, I think again, probably, and before they're hanged, Giselle is having the most character growth of any character so
0: far yeah he's going i love that he's going through these revelations and these revelations are hey maybe i'm not as great as i think i am <laughs> like,
1: it's like that's <laughs> obvious to everyone it's like, who's maybe i have to
0: earn people liking who i am you <laughs> know it's like it's like you know like <laughs> that's his revelation that he's having on this quest it's like <laughs> nice job Giselle. you you really came together on that one <laughs> we're rooting yeah. for you i think we're this Also, how these characters kind of get some development is the advantage in this arc that we have over some of these other, that we have like up north or with Glockta, is that we have so many POV characters here. We have Jizal, and we have uh, Logan, and we have Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And what Abercrombie likes to do with this arc is rapidly change perspective between all three of them and they're all interacting so you will have just been in the thoughts of this one person and you see how another character reacts to it and how totally opposite on the opposite pages all these characters are and it's almost funny it's like logan is like oh there's no such thing as luck and then it crash cut to Giselle's perspective of like man if only i was luckier to get out of here you know <laughs> it's like you know it's like constantly they're all on edge and and um and, you know, they, they kind of hate each other. And it's like, Logan's like, oh, I'll do this nice thing for Jezal. And then you do little nice things. And, yeah. and that's, you know, what it takes. And then Joel's like, what is, why is he here? Like, he's annoying me. He's go away. He's <laughs> like, this ignorant buffoon is sitting next to me with his stupid grin, you know? So it's like funny to, to to get the juxtaposition of what the character's thinking and then how they're perceived by another character in the fellowship. And it's, and they're so often Right side by side and conflicting and funny.
1: Oh, very funny. (laughs) I mean, I was saying last episode too that I think Pharaoh gets a lot of flack as the weakest of Mm -hmm. Abercrombie's POV characters in this, and she is the weakest of Abercrombie's POV characters. And she's kind of one note to some extent with the vengeance and vengeance and uh, the... I mean, obviously there's more going on, especially before they're hanged. Uh, and she actually sort of gets some sort of arc here. But her perspective, I actually really enjoyed reading this time around mm-hmm. more than I have in past reads of this series where just the frankness with which she conveys her view of the other characters in the fellowship like how she has such distaste for each other character she's with and like sees sees the worst qualities that we're able to see too in people like Giselle and doesn't try to
0: hide it yeah she does actually kind of nail a lot of the attributes of everyone else in the fellowship. And it's also interesting because you had said, like, oh, Pharaoh, you know, I've appreciated her more. And you had said that in the last episode. And you have read the series several times already going into this. This is my second time. And I can agree, you know, because I felt kind of the same way of, like, Pharaoh. It's like, okay, we get it. You're angry, you know? It's like, let's go. But when you get over that and you read it again, it's like, you know, there is some nuance going on. She is trying to come to terms with the fact that she has been angry her whole life. And now that there's people that are becoming, dare you say friends, she doesn't know how to process it or handle it. Her relationship with Logan, she can't quite come to express that outwardly. And it just makes her even more angry. So it's interesting to see those sides of her. And then you contextualize it of like, okay, she has demon blood in her. All right. Like that's part of this whole thing. So you do kind of start to see a little bit more of her character and finding appreciating it more in the second read and yeah it's like the the way she like skewers Baez and Giselle and Logan it's like so it's kind of almost cathartic to read sometimes
1: yeah no I think given Pharaoh's background and how awful a life she's had being sold into sex slavery mm-hmm. and just terrible terrible experiences that would horribly traumatize a person the extent to which pharaoh just continues to be hardened and untrusting and all these kind of things there's stuff that we're unused to in a fantasy novel Mm -hmm. but i think there's very true to a character who's had these kind of experiences and that's what abercrombie does so well is where in other novels we're kind of used to this. Well, this person's had a really hard life, but finally someone's doing something nice for them. So then they learn to trust this person after like one or two nice things. And Pharaoh is such a true character. I mm-hmm. think to someone who's had those experiences. In a sense, it's like Logan can do nice things to with her all day, and she's still going to have a lot of difficulty trusting anyone and she starts to come around some but she can't come around to the full extent during this novel that we expect if we've read a lot of fantasy like people what do you mean like this was the nice event that people like this person now it's like no like trust is for someone like pharaoh if it can ever be earned it's gonna take a long long time and a lot of effort
0: right and then Being able to express that outwardly is pretty much impossible for her as well. She just doesn't know how to process those, those feelings. She doesn't quite know how to process communicating with people outside of surviving and killing, so... You can you you understand how that could be super difficult and you're like, oh man, you almost it's like kind of sympathetic towards Pharaoh like when you can start to feel that way about her, I think it really contextualizes her behaviors and her thoughts in a really honest way for someone that's gone through what she has
1: well said, Charles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we also get. I mean, a lot of Pharaoh's growth. I think we can talk more about as we go through Logan's arc here, right. because those two are are very intertwined in more that ways than one. I guess um, as we go through this, so let's talk some Logan Nine Fingers if you're ready, Charles.
0: Oh, I'm always ready to talk some Logan Nine Fingers.
1: Right. So you can never have too many conversations about Logan Nine Fingers. <laughs> yes. Well, so Logan, something that we get in Before They Are Hanged is to see Logan's leadership abilities. And I think that he, his leadership abilities, his capability for just developing interpersonal relationships and trust and how he does it in a way that I think is also in Abercrombie style, just so true is like, you don't be it, the thing that things that make Logan a great leader aren't the fact that he's this epic killer and all these kind of things. It's little kindnesses. It's the humility. It's knowing what he is and what he isn't. It's knowing how to delegate. And it's showing that when push comes to shove, he's a person that you can trust, assuming he hasn't gone full bloody nine. Right. And he's shown that in a lot of before they're hanged here
0: right i would say that another title for this fellowship of the seed is also gonna be like the philosophy of logan nine fingers because you get so many moments of logan kind of expounding his philosophies on teamwork and survival and fighting he has some great lines in these arcs basically when he's basically kind of kind of trying to find common ground with jazal and he ends up kind of taking jazal yeah. under his wing a little bit giving yeah. him things about like oh i'm you know, I experienced all kinds of fear. You know, I wet myself in fear before combat, you know, and anyone who doesn't feel that is a liar and will likely wind up dead because it's an important survival tool. And Giselle's I, like, yeah, I, you know, that's that's kind of right.
1: <laughs> I do think that Logan says to Giselle, a lot of people wet themselves before battle, but yeah. it says about himself that he he's like, I always took too easy to that. Um, yes, like to battle. Like I was him, yeah. not one of those people. Right. Or it might even be, yeah, crapping themselves to keep uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. our, our clean rating because, here. Because, uh, um, yeah, Logan just understands. He's lived through so much violence. He's so experienced and Gisal is so new to everything that he can kind of, he's trying to kind of share his experiences with Gisal. And that's kind of super interesting to see because Gisal starts out as, you know, kind of an unwilling <laughs> student at first. And then in Jezal's own monologue, as the journey continues, he's like, you know what? Like, I can kind of believe some of these things that Logan's saying. And it's interesting to feel to see. Right. So he
1: consults Logan. I think at first, the first time he actually like asked Logan something, it's like about fighting. And he reflects to himself, like, I wouldn't have a problem asking a farmer about farming. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could talk to a killer about fighting and yeah, killing like right. nothing wrong with that it's yeah. still in that pompous jazal narcissistic voice right he's not seeing and, him as
0: a friend or an equal or anything no. like that right
1: but slowly he comes around and he learns and, and something that he seems to be thinking about toward the end of this Jazal that is he has kind of heard logan saying if i were to do it all over again I would just, like, settle down with someone I care about. And leave the fighting to people
0: who are, (laughs) like, dumber than me or something like that. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So, Giselle's starting to think at this point, like, you know, all this noble stuff that I get caught up on, that doesn't seem to matter when it's pouring and I'm chafing and I'm hungry and that's all BS, And what matters is finding someone I care about and maybe selling down with them and living a just hopefully. Yeah, he's like, if I never have to go
0: through this stuff again, I would be very happy. (laughs) You know, it's like, this was a horrible experience. There's nothing worth doing. We got nothing out of this. We almost died. I'm horribly injured. I suffered for months and for nothing. This was such a waste of time time and all I could think about was already I just want to get back mm. and be with her and like this was horrible <laughs> and and Abercrombie then made the quest a fruitless endeavor uh, uh, let's see. Ah, a- and um, and uh that kind of adds to it it's like there's there's so much meaningless to, to violence and to questing and to suffering it's like I should have just stayed home
1: right <laughs> so it's interesting from Giselle's perspective that when it does end up being a fruitless endeavor, as you say, Charles, he mm-hmm. is kind of like, well, that actually never mattered to me. And I'm just happy that we're heading home. Yeah. And he's starting to see the bright side of things. Yeah, he's the first one to
0: kind, of, to kind of turn around <laughs> because yeah. he's kind of dragged along in the first place. He's just like, I didn't even care about this stupid seat anyway. <laughs>
1: right. So, yeah, I mean, we let's talk a little bit more about logan it's hard not to start getting into how he impacts those around him because that's so much of what he does with this arc here he's also impacting pharaoh a lot as we've talked about where he's gaining her trust i love that moment where she starts being like i'm gonna run away and he just is kind of like look you stick i'll stick yeah if it doesn't work you can always run away later (laughs) and that's a great moment, and he has those with her because he, throughout.
0: Logan does have the ability to, you know, stay realistic about these things, but also he of knows course. his audience, right? He knows that Pharaoh is interested in survival and combat, and that's something he understands very well. And he's like, look, the, we stand the best chance together. You don't have to trust me, but, you know, if if you're still in the fight, I'm still in the fight. And that's a language that Pharaoh understands. And it's impressive that Log- like, Pharaoh is probably the most difficult person you could meet to try and mm-hmm. work with. And he's kind of talked her down, talked her into the sticking around. And a huge accomplishment.
1: Well said, Charles. And eventually we end up in this situation where they run into these Shanka. The whole journey is like Baez getting angry about things, taking <laughs> them on these taking them ways that don't seem pleasant and we get a lot of the world being fleshed out. But at some point they run into these Shanka and Bias uh, Baez uses all this magic power stuff to create a sort of like hole in the world almost. Yeah. Um And we end up in a situation where Pharaoh and Logan are together and we get one of the most awkward sex scenes of all time. We probably can't go into the, and not that I'd necessarily uh, be interested in that, go into the details of that too much on
0: the pod, but got to give credit to it. I was cracking up. What's the name of the voice actor again for the (laughs) books? Freudian slip. What's the... uh, uh, <laughs> Stephen Pacey. Yeah, Stephen Pacey, <laughs> dude, he committed to that sex scene like 110%. He's doing all these grunts and moans. He's like switching from Logan's voice to Pharaoh's voice. And I'm just like, oh my yeah. God, this is awkward, but also incredibly hilarious. Both, obviously, what's happening, what Abercrombie wrote, and Pacey's commitment to the characters you're like oh my gosh this is insane that i'm listening that this is turned up in my headphones right now
1: (laughs) yeah the audiobook is something so yeah it's don't listen to that with your parents around i'll say that (laughs) no definitely not it's it's a very you have to be realistic about these things sexy and i think that It's there's a lot that's true to the characters too that happens. It you know say one thing for Joe Abercrombie, say he never loses track of building character, Mm -hmm. and he has these moments where two really hardened fighters, Charles, Mm -hmm. who are very comfortable in a battle, start having these more tender, vulnerable moments. moments. Yeah. And those are way, way more Uncomfortable and awkward for them, yeah. and again, just how Abercrombie writes so true, but also so nuanced in yeah. terms of. And it's so the funny characters. because
0: all of Logan's fighting scenes, he's always like stumbling around, like high pitched wailing as he's tripping on stuff. You know, he's very much kind of clumsy yeah. almost a lot of the times, and to see that translate into this like love scene is super funny. You know, say one thing for Logan Nine Fingers, say. He's a lover.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is a line in there, (laughs) and it's after a uh, a moment that might not make you have that be the one thing you'd say for a lot of people. Say (laughs) so, yeah. He
0: says it sarcastically, yes, (laughs) about himself.
1: (laughs) Right. So. We also get acquainted with two former lovers in, well, we're already acquainted with Baez, but you get what I'm saying. We get acquainted mm-hmm. with one of Baez's former lovers in Coneal when we get a lot more of the kind of backstory with Baez and what went on with him and uh, Kalul and Canadius and Ptolemy. Um, if you've read the books, you probably have a a sense of what's going on with all that right and yeah
0: so kawaii is also has been kind of frustrated with bias at this point too there's that moment as well and you start to get the sense with like the with bias that he's not telling the whole story and he's telling everyone what they need to know to do what he wants them to do like we get that with pharaoh constantly in this he's like hey look do you want to kill the Gurkish or not and you know he's (laughs) and he does eventually get coerced by the rest of the troop to kind of tell more of the story and when we get into this castle and i forget her name the other magi she has quite Cornel. a di- yeah Cornel. she has quite a different uh, uh, opinion of bias than he has on himself so very interesting like just that other layer that carries in ominously into the next book of like, what is all this background story with Canadius and the master maker and all this other stuff that seems to be looming over this book? Is it even important still? Like, because the seed was all a trick, you know, all these things are, are questions that we have at the end of this arc.
1: In all, we know that Baez is seeking power. We know something went down where Baez claims he, he basically claims that he was taught by Juvens and uh, alongside Kalul. Mm-hmm. And then the two of them kept fighting, so he had to be separated. And then Baez went to go get taught by Juvens' brother, Canadius, and he was taught by Canadius. that's a master maker who made the shanka and made Logan's sword and things like that. And then Bias says he fell in love with the mastermaker's daughter Ptolemy Mm -hmm. and had to flee because Canadius was so pissed about it. They went back. Canadius then uh, like killed his own daughter in jealousy. And then uh, Bias killed Canadius and, uh, you know, Bias and Kalul obviously not on good terms. Now we, we know that whole thing. Mm -hmm. We also, Get this moment where, when Glockta is torturing uh, Shickle, yes. the eater, mm-hmm. where she calls by as a liar and traitor. He killed his master. He murdered Juven's, mm. and uh, then Glockta says that is not the way I heard the story. So we know that there's. All sorts of versions of this story being told to all sorts of folks, and we just don't know which one is, is
0: that's true. right. I mean, it would make sense for Girkle well, to and I be- do. yeah, <laughs> we do, but it makes sense for Gerkel to believe that idea that Baez is a murderer because you know their leader is um, is his name Kal- Kalul, yes, Kalul, Kalul um, is the one leading them. So that's his narrative, obviously. And Bias right. has the opposite narrative, and they're an Ajua, which Bias has a seat on the close council. So like everyone's telling the side of the story that puts them in the best light and we have yet to discover the truth and that's kind of the ominous and does Bias even know because he was tricked there's no seed and he was genuinely yeah. kind of enraged by that like we, you know he's like there's no seed we were tricked and um so there's that whole piece of it Of like what is going on with all this stuff and who knows what's true is it possible to seed it out at this point
1: Seed it out. I should have said, yeah,
0: weed it out, I think is the right phrase. Suss it out, but seed it out. It it makes it, it's (laughs) like
1: you did it on purpose. Yep. So then we get an interesting perspective from Cornille, who is a former lover of Baez's, but also a former lover of Kalul's and kind of is characterized by not getting involved in any of this almost characterized by sloth in some ways and her lack of interest in seeking power in the ways that you can tell that uh, Baez and Kalul both are and she has a great line where she describes Baez and Kalul in reference to uh, Juvens and Canadius who mm. came before them. She calls and smaller men in a bigger world, but with no less hatred and no more mercy.
0: Mm. That's a great line.
1: Mm. And that is very uh, true to some Abercrombie type characters, <laughs> I think.
0: I think so as well. I think that's a great line that we're going to have to remember for, when we read the last book in this sh- trilogy, last the argument, last of, argument kings. of Kings of That's right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Charles, is there anything that we, that you wanted to cover that we didn't get the chance uh, to? I, I know, mean, we so could, could probably talk book.
0: about this fellowship of the seed stuff for a full hour, you know, going into it. I mean, I loved when the bloody nine came back and defeated all of the Shanka. That was always fun. And, um, you know their relationship with Pharaoh I've always really liked, and I could talk for a long time about that, but I think we did it you know we we covered the whole book, it was quite ambitious, but i I think we're we're good here if if you're happy, wow. I'm happy,
1: yeah, I'm feeling happy, Charles. I think that we i mean we're gonna talk a lot more about Abercrombie as our podcast continues yes. this is far from the last you've heard about abercrombie yes. from us we're gonna buddy read all the way through the entire first law world yep. we're going to keep producing other episodes no matter how long this podcast goes you can expect us to be talking about abercrombie over here so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry if you're feeling that you want more, it's definitely coming. And Charles, honestly, you had me thinking it could be kind of fun to do an episode comparing the Fellowship of the Seed to the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> yeah, to see what yes. comes up for us if we focus hundred episode on that in particular. I
0: think that's a great idea for an episode. You know, And I would also love the opportunity to do a spoiler-full discussion of each character through the whole trilogy as well because you could really deep dive into each character and how they were written Ooh. and easily fill content. So you could yeah and and then remove this veil of being trying to remove to try not to give out spoilers right. and then you can talk about anything and i think that would be a lot of fun to do that as well for all you first law fans out there
1: right i mean we can do Almost even just like a Logan Nine Fingers character profile—that's its own episode—and mm. release that, and and so on and so on for all the characters like you're talking about yep. there, Charles. Maybe maybe I'll try to draw a little from my psych background if we yeah. do something like that. I think that'd be interesting. Right.
0: Absolutely. But for now, you know, I I I think we're we're good on Before They Are Hanged, Book Two by Joe Abercrombie. You you ready for I'm this f- outro? Yeah, throw that outro on. All right. Thank you everyone for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, if you're excited for more Joe Abercrombie or just more fantasy discussions in general, then let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. Uh, You can always send us an email. That's an option you will always have and you can send it to us over at the FTF podcast at gmail.com Now, if you really like the show and you want to show your support, Dylan, what what kind of options do they have before them if they're on, say, I don't know, Apple Podcasts? If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can toss five
1: stars to our podcast. Yes. Just scroll down on that Friends Talking Fancy podcast page on Apple, on Apple Podcasts app, that is, and find the spot with the stars. Click five of them ideally uh write a review if you do have time but we know you're busy and just the fact that you spent this time listening to our episode and made it to the end that's more than enough thank you so much yes thank
0: you everybody for listening thank you joe for writing such an incredible series you all are great we love you all and as always go forth and conquer friends